0: I mean, Joe. Sorry. Good evening. It's so nice to be here and uh, speak to you all tonight. Uh, I am, yeah, as Joe said, I used to work here. I now don't. I'm actually fun employed for now, which is exciting. So I've had loads of time to prepare this talk. So um, <laughs> hopefully you'll be able to. T- Why did I just tell you that? Um, <laughs> so. Tonight I'm going to be talking um, about life by the Spirit and the discipline of Christian joy. So I'm just going to read the passage first, I think that's always a good place to start um, and then we'll get into it. So we are in Galatians 5 uh, verses 16 to 26, I actually don't know what number that is in the pew slash chair Bibles, 1107, will just give you a second to find it. Galatians 5, 16, and it is called Life by the Spirit. And Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So just a couple of points by way of introduction, and then I'll tell you kind of where we're going uh, in this evening's talk. And this passage gives us two lists. One, the acts of the sinful nature, and the other, the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul is telling us that the former is in direct combat with the, other, the, the latter, and that for one to thrive, the other must wither. And he's imploring us to keep in step with the Spirit, to choose the latter list that leads to fruitfulness. And first, as a quick point, you'll notice that the passage talks about the fruit of the Spirit, not the various and optional fruits. It's important that we grasp that the Spirit living in us bears all of the fruit that Paul is talking about. It's not that some Christians bear the fruit of patience and others' gentleness and others' joy. All of this fruit is for all Christians. And I think it's sometimes easy for us to get the fruit of the Spirit confused with the gifts of the Spirit, which Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, which are sometimes specifically given to specific people. Not so with the fruits of the Spirit. Here Paul is saying that in every Christian who is living in step with the Spirit, all of this fruit is going to grow. Gone then is the excuse of, patience is just not my gift, Joe, when you're driving. (laughs) Um, And I just want to hone in on one of those particular fruits this evening, and that is the fruit of joy. And before we go any further, I just want to clarify that joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness actually comes from a Greek word that means lucky. Something happens to us. It's circumstantial and it's transient and it makes us feel happy. Not so with joy. In many ways, an R.T. Kendall speaks about this in his book, Pure Joy. Joy is internal and true joy can only come from the Holy Spirit. So when I'm speaking about joy, I'm not inviting us to summon up lots of happy feelings or just be really optimistic and kind of glass half full. And crucially, I'm not saying that we should ignore the painful parts of our life because that is just delusional and um, denial. When I'm talking about joy, I'm speaking about deep peace and deep reassurance I'm speaking about the fruit of the Spirit, the result of the Holy Spirit living in us as Christians. Like apples on a tree, the Holy Spirit will grow joy in us, bearing this fruit regardless of our circumstances. So I wanna talk tonight about the discipline of Christian joy. What does it look like to live a life of joy as a Christian? How can we cultivate joy in our lives in a real and authentic way, but that doesn't gloss over the fact that sometimes life can be hugely and shockingly painful? So this evening's talk is a bit of a game of two halves, much like a World Cup football match. Um, It's a sort of pop culture reference, (laughs) but I throw it in there. So first we're going to explore what joy means for us as Christians. So firstly looking at the joy of our salvation, secondly of joy and hope, and thirdly at joy in creation. Then we're going to have just a wee break, maybe some orange slices, some half-time punditry. Uh, And then we're going to be looking just a little bit um, at the sort of counter list that Paul talks about, and in particular looking at jealousy, which I've termed the joy stealer. So joy in our salvation What does that mean? I came across these verses in Habakkuk. I can't say that I'm particularly well-versed in Habakkuk, but it makes me sound like I read the Minor Prophets. (laughs) um, But it it blew me away, these verses. Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. And it says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. These verses are extraordinary. In starvation, financial ruin, disappointment, still the speaker chooses to be joyful in God the saviour. And why? Because salvation itself is the source of joy. When everything else fails, when we can find no personal circumstances to particularly rejoice in, the joy of our salvation remains. It's good news. It's freedom from death. It's the ultimate verdict being given that we are significant and loved and valuable and important and free. And this is where the Lord invites us to dwell In the midst of pain and disappointment, he calls us into a place of deep joy, not necessarily because of any earthly reason, but because of the eternal truth that we are saved. Our souls are secure and we are safe. The prophet Isaiah puts it beautifully, surely God is my salvation, I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song, he has become my salvation, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It's a delightful truth. But so often we forget and we don't allow this truth to bring us any joy at all. Perhaps we find it difficult to believe that we are actually saved. Maybe our own circumstances have overshadowed the joy of our salvation because we don't feel happy at the moment and we're going through something really difficult. Well, you're in good company. Join David as he asked the Lord in Psalm 51 to restore to me the joy of my salvation. The fact that he needs it to be restored implies that at some point, and for reasons that we can probably well understand knowing David's story, he had times of losing the joy of his salvation. And for us, sometimes our lives become so overwhelmingly sad or disappointing or just busy and frantic that we need to go right back to basics to the very core of the truth of our story, which is our salvation. There's a a theologian called Miroslav Volf who says that Christians are people of joy because something good is being announced that is a gift that you don't have to earn. You don't have to achieve. You have always already been achieved. You always already have reason to rejoice because of the goodness that is yours. And how do we draw on the joy of our salvation? We pray, as David did. We ask God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remind me that you plucked me from the pit. God gently invites us to dwell in the simple truth that our souls are safe, that he has rescued us because he loves us. Let that be the source of our joy first and foremost. And one of the many things God has taught me over the last few years amidst a fair amount of trials and disappointments and various griefs is the discipline of at each point returning to the Lord and asking him to restore to me the joy of my salvation. When disappointment threatens to overcome me and loss pervades and fear whispers in my ear, I ask the Lord for joy. And he answers, I don't necessarily feel happy. It's not happiness we're after here, but I feel circumstance shattering peace and deep deep joy that I am saved and I am safe and that I'm loved by a good God who knows what he's doing so we return to God in prayer in scripture in sharing with trusted friends in our community and we ask him to help us draw joy from our salvation we learn as Habakkuk says to be joyful in God my savior Father Raniero Cantalamessa who's the preacher to the papal household in Rome and an incredible man of God puts it quite simply. God loves us, what deeper reason for rejoicing than this. What a foundation, what a bedrock of joy, ripe and ready soil for joy to grow from. And then we come to joy in hope, hope that things are going to get better hope in the promise that one day everything that is broken and messy everything that is disappointing and painful is going to be made right again hope in a god who brings beauty from ashes and who knows the end from the beginning and who is unchanging and the bible tells us to be joyful in hope romans 12:12 12, 12, be joyful in hope and i think again this is a discipline It's a choice to allow hope for the future to bring us joy now. It's taking from that promise of God that one day he will wipe every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And allowing this truth to bring us joy and reassurance now. And in doing this, we're not shying away from pain and we're not wishing our days away. We're allowing hope in the promises of God to spur us on and fuel our joy. Because that's what these promises are for. It's as simple as being promised a cold drink at the end of a long walk on a hot day. We picture it. We allow it to spur us on. We imagine what it's going to be like when the promise finally becomes a reality. We let it bring us joy, even though it hasn't happened yet. Again, back to Miroslav Volf, just a cracking name, um, who says, The most fundamental circumstance of our life is God. And God is the original goodness. It is therefore that we can rejoice in God as a source of all good things. It is therefore that we can rejoice in individual good things in the world. And it is therefore that we can rejoice in this incredible good news that the world will one day be a place of joy, righteousness, and peace. Joy and hope. And I believe also the Lord is inviting us to take joy in creation from what is around us, his people, his blessings... It's so easy, especially, I think, when we're waiting for a prayer to be answered, maybe for kids or for a marriage partner or for a breakthrough in a relationship, to be blinded to any goodness at all. We can so easily view everything through the lens of whatever we're going through. But what if we took that lens away? What if the sun on a tree or a bumblebee going about her business or the feeling of the breeze on our face brought us joy just because it was happening? What if we were able to find joy in these things because they were created by a God who is the original rejoicer? I have a, a small video I would like to share with you. Um, no, I'm not a professional camera woman. Uh, but this was a bumblebee that I found um, recently. And she was looking pretty tired. So I made some sugar water and I, and I gave it to her. And I didn't even know they had these kind of long straw-like appendages. <laughs> um, but they do. And she drank, and she crawled around a bit, and then she flew away again. And I think that is the most extraordinary thing. I think that is just so beautiful. And that experience brought me, I mean, probably disproportionate amounts of joy. (laughs) Um, But I just think that is so beautiful. And all over Genesis 1, the chapter that explains the creation story, God is creating the water and the trees and the animals. And it tells us that he saw that it was good. God didn't have to create sunrises and sunsets and lavender and good coffee and peacocks. He did it just because he's creative and he takes joy in his creation. The Bible says that the mountains sing together for joy. The whole of creation sings out. What if we could see that in the midst of seemingly unanswered prayers, there are simple joys to be had all around us. At a very painful moment in my life a few weeks ago, I heard a number of, um, well, I went went for a walk and I heard a number of different birds singing, and it struck me that they are worshipping. That all of creation, the Bible says, is singing to God. And that simple notion that the birds are singing worship songs just brought me simple and profound joy. It was like a well, a store of joy within me that I was able to kind of access and draw from. And I believe that part of this is because in acknowledging these simple joys, we're coming in line with the nature of God. God invites us to join him in the statement, it is good. He gently invites us to get caught up in the joy that he takes in what he has made. This doesn't mean that our tough situations are made any better. It doesn't mean that we necessarily have solutions. And I don't want this to make our trials sound trivial because they're not. But I do want to invite us to lift our eyes from our circumstances and experience the joy of God in the things around us. And so we build on the foundational joy of our salvation, the joy in hope, joy in creation. And these things begin to take root. It begins to become a habit, finding simple joys. Psalm 27 says this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it is a discipline. It's a discipline to find joy around us and look for the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, even when it might feel like we're dying. And by extension, I believe our relationships and the joys of others can bring us joy too. God made us to be in community, to rejoice with each other, Romans 12:15. But it's not always easy. Which brings us to our half time break. Um, before we just look at what it is that steals our joy. I don't really know what to do in this halftime break. didn't really have a plan. I did think about bringing some orange segments, but Joe said that would be too much. I think everyone's a bit disappointed, actually. <laughs> um, so everyone with me? Yeah. Yes. Good, good. Okay. So jealousy. Jealousy, the joy stealer. On this joy journey, we will face challenges. And for some insight into these challenges, we return to this counter list, the products of the sinful nature that Paul says are in conflict to the fruit of the Spirit. And I'm not going to go into all of them, they're serious stuff and we do not have time. But I do want to highlight this one area that Paul actually warns against three different ways in this short passage alone, and this is the area of jealousy and envy. In verse 20, Paul lists both jealousy and envy separately. And again, in verse 26, he warns against provoking and envying each other. Jealousy and envy can be a thief to joy. Paul tells us they're in conflict against the fruits of the Spirit. And in this list, and this is actually the fact, where the fact that I'm a a grammar nerd has actually become quite helpful, um, I notice that jealousy and envy are grouped together between two semicolons. They're in their own kind of mini group with hatred, discord, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, and factions. It's really serious stuff. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say I don't think I'm the only one who does battle with jealousy. With that nasty feeling that creeps in when I see that someone else has something that I would like, or achieves something that I want to achieve, or is recognized for something that I know I'm good at as well. That feeling of the shine being taken off something good because I've compared it to something else and it's been found wanting. And it's a really difficult and uncomfortable thing to recognize in ourselves. Yeah, I feel kind of vulnerable telling you that that's something that I feel, that I deal with. But I'd love in just these next few minutes if we could allow ourselves to consider whether this is something we might struggle with. And in today's culture, jealousy is hugely accepted. It's extraordinary. Look at the social media world we live in, where almost every post provokes comments like, I'm so jealous of you. It's easy to miss. It's so common. And it's easy for us to overlook. But it's been part of our broken humanity for thousands of years, and the Bible warns against it frequently. Proverbs 14.30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Ecclesiastes 4.4, and I saw that all toil and achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. But why do we get jealous? Tim Keller, in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, talks about the fact that it's the human condition to center our lives around something other than God. We slip into this school of thought that says that our security, our value, and our identity comes from what we're able to obtain and achieve, We seek something other than God to be the center of our lives. And doesn't this tendency just go right back to the fall? Genesis 3 tells the tragic story of humankind exercising their desire to go their own way, find satisfaction and purpose in things other than God. It was jealousy of God's knowledge that even Adam disobeyed him, jealousy that led King David to murder, jealousy that caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. Jealousy left unchecked will destroy and it will most certainly steal our joy because jealousy stops us remembering that God is a God of plenty and abundance. Jealousy takes our eyes off Jesus. Jealousy diminishes the enjoyment of life. It keeps our relationships from flourishing. Jealousy is like the clouds moving in front of the the sunshine that is joy. And I've almost had that exact feeling That shine of joy in my life, being literally covered in cloud because I'm jealous of what someone else has. But what if we could stop being jealous? What if other people's successes did not steal our joy? What if we could sever those links we've made between our own security and the circumstances of others? Because I believe that God is calling us into lives free from jealousy because he has our very best interest at his heart of hearts. And he wants joy to grow in us without anything else getting in the way. And Paul is saying in this passage in Galatians 5 that jealousy has no place in the life of a Christian. And how can we do this? How can we extinguish jealousy and envy from our lives? We accept that our salvation means that the verdict is in. The antidote to jealousy and comparison surely is a full and true understanding that we are significant, valuable, loved as we are, and important. If we really knew that at the very core of our being, we'd have no need or desire to look to other people and compare ourselves to them and see how we're doing. And without comparison, jealousy just begins to dissipate. And the good news is that the verdict is in. God, who made us, has given us the ultimate verdict that we are, in fact, significant, secure, accepted. He did this when He sent Jesus, our salvation. He so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is the only place where you get the verdict before the performance. The moment we believe, before we've achieved or mastered anything at all, God speaks over us the same words. He spoke over his son Jesus at the moment of his baptism. Matthew 3.17, you are my beloved child. With you I am well pleased. Verdict. As Tim Keller puts it, the only person whose opinion counts looks at me and he finds me more valuable than all the jewels on the earth. So valuable, in fact, that he saved you. And here we return to draw on the joy of our salvation. Here, the fact that we have been saved because we're richly loved becomes a weapon against the jealousy that seeks to steal our joy. Nothing but the joy of our salvation is as powerful in severing those cords that we use to bind ourselves to other people's circumstances and their successes. They mean nothing in the light of this verdict? Why does it matter what that person has? The God of the universe has given his son to die for me because he loves me so much. Last year I had a a sort of season of seeing things falling into place for a lot of friends around me in ways that I wish my own life would. A lot of things seemed really out of sync for me and incredibly difficult. I often felt that everyone around me was kind of flourishing and I was sort of limping along like a tired old donkey. And I did battle with jealousy. I felt the, t- the temptation to stop getting in touch with friends who had the things that I really wanted. I felt those clouds coming in, blocking the sunlight of joy. And God took me on this journey, and I can honestly say with my whole heart that recognizing the parts of those hardships that were jealousy and confessing it and trusting in my Savior who forgives me and loves me. I found new depths of joy and such freedom. I found that jealousy is no match for the power of the Holy Spirit. Jealousy is not something we need to live with. We don't need to create rivals out of friends or colleagues or family members. Confess it. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Bring jealousy to the cross. Allow Jesus to forgive you and set you free and bring you joy. And just imagine what a life free from jealousy would look like. And I'm not saying that it's going to make things easy. I think what I'm saying is identifying the parts of what we're finding hard that are hard because we're jealous. Identifying those and dealing with those makes things so much more bearable. Imagine being able to go to your friend's wedding as a single person and just celebrate the love that they found. Imagine hanging out with that woman who just got pregnant when you're desperate for a baby. And instead of feeling bitter and sad, being able to celebrate with them and feel joy at the miracle of life. Imagine being so thrilled that your colleague got promoted before you that you can take them out for a drink to celebrate them. Once again, I'm not saying any of these things will be easy, and I'm not saying that the only reason they're hard is because we're jealous. But what I am saying is those parts of it that are hard because we're jealous can be dealt with at the cross. Tim Keller puts it like this. Wouldn't you like to be the skater who wins the silver and yet is thrilled about those three triple jumps that the gold winner did? To love it the way you love a sunrise. Just to love the fact that it was done. For it not to matter whether it was their success or your success. Not to care if they did it or you did it. You're as happy that they did it as if you had done it yourself because you're just so happy to see it. Beautiful. True freedom from jealousy means more room for joy to grow. And as we come into land, I don't, I don't want any of this to sound like striving. Really, really try to be joyful. Really try not to be jealous. And I'm certainly not saying that this joyful fruit is going to make life a doddle. Or that dealing with jealousy will solve all of our problems. But I do believe that tonight God is calling us into greater joy and greater freedom from jealousy. Because he knows what we need and he loves us. The source of our joy is God. The forgiver of sins is Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit can conceive and bear the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about trying really hard. It is asking God to restore to us the pure joy of our salvation. It's drawing joy from the hope of future promises. Allowing ourselves to take joy in the simple pleasures of God's creation. Being vigilant against jealousy. The joy stealer confessing it and allowing Jesus to set us free. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit and the Spirit bears fruit that will last. God calls us to be a people of joy, not people who are happy all the time, but people of deep reassurance and life-giving peace. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Laura, can I invite the, the band up? just going to take a moment uh, to give God some space, and let him speak to us, and then I'm going to say a prayer, i we're going to worship, and in this, this time of silence, just three questions, is your salvation a source of joy for you? Do you need the Lord to remind you of the hope you have? Is there jealousy in your life that you want to confess and deal with?